Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? Uh, some pretty interesting news here because, first off, the University of Hawaii football team is opening the new stadium, the retrofitted stadium, Clarence T. C. Ching Athletic Complex, right there on the lower campus in Manoa. Uh, it is the home opener of this 2021 season. Unfortunately, no fans are going to be in the house, but there are two guys who we know who are going to be in the house. As it has just come to my attention, uh, you are going to be part of uh, the pregame and postgame crew for the Spectrum Sports on pay-per-view broadcast here this weekend, Hawaii taking on Portland State. So uh, congrats. That's awesome. Uh, and, uh, and see you on Oahu in a little bit. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, it, it just came to my attention, too. Like, uh, <laughs> not very much before it came to your attention, I think. Yeah, they needed somebody to fill in. And uh, I think they made it far enough down the list where they're like, I guess we got to give Jordan a call. And I was like, you got it. I will be there. Yeah, so looking forward to it, right? It's a pretty exciting game. I mean, it, not only are they looking to bounce back after last week, which we'll get into here, but uh, they're playing on campus for the first time in, I don't know, like 100 years, maybe? Something like maybe ever? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty big deal. The only bummer, no fans, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to with you calling your, uh, your first UH football game. I know that, uh, that means a lot and obviously we all know the circumstances, but, uh, you know, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun day on Saturday. We're hoping for. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, those are the subplots that, that are behind the scenes that, that we can be excited about. Uh, obviously the game is the, the center focus, but, uh, you know, working on a broadcast with you and working on a broadcast with Rob DeMello, who I worked alongside at KITV and KHON for many years. It's just, you know, those are, those are just some of the cool little wrinkles. But speaking of honors, we welcome you to podcast episode number 79 here of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And we're excited because we have a guest coming on the show. He is a fellow Iolani alum, class of 94. Uh, he was a standout quarterback there, went on to the University of Montana, was a standout quarterback there, All-American, two time Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Year and a guy who led the Grizzlies to a national championship appearance in 1996 in what was then known as Division One AA. They took on this team that happened to include Randy Moss and Chad Pennington. That's right. Marshall was the opponent in that national championship game. Marshall went on to win because that team was just stacked and had all these future NFL superstars. Uh, but at the same time, it was an, an awesome achievement. And because of his decorated career. It was just recently announced that Brian is being inducted into the University of Montana Sports Hall of Fame. So we are going to have a Hall of Famer on the show with us in just a little bit. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome, right? Uh, his pedigree and and all that he has done and and one of the, the trailblazing quarterbacks to come out of Hawaii and, and was just a, a little glimpse of all the talent that uh, was untapped, I think, at that time in the islands that uh, is definitely no longer a secret here, but yeah, it's a big, uh, big, big sky week. We got Portland state coming to town to play university of Hawaii. We're getting Brian. I some love and the Montana Grizzlies. So uh, yeah, it's a good football conference, by the way, uh, even at the FCS level, a lot of fun. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And Brian transitioning now into uh, being a coach. I mean, he's been coaching for a little while now, but uh, the transition continues as he is now the quarterback's coach at Kamehameha Kapalama and getting his first ever start with that program was junior quarterback Kelii Ayat this past weekend. So yeah, he's coaching his son. And as you'll hear in the interview, uh, I think that he wells up with some emotion when he thinks about just what his parents uh, did for him in, in helping to boost his career and what he is now uh, venturing to do to be as supportive as possible for his kids. Uh, and so we'll be playing that interview for you in a little bit. But first, let's get to our game time. 
And our first topic, the UH football's not-so-rosy debut versus UCLA in the Rose Bowl this past Saturday. Hawaii got down 24-3 in the first quarter, outgained 177 yards to 51 in that opening frame, with 148 of those Bruins yards coming on the ground. So that's an issue. Hawaii, which set out in the offseason under head coach Todd Graham to bring in some D1 transfers and, and to try to bolster that defensive line specifically for the purpose of trying to be better against the run. They got gashed. Uh, in pretty lopsided fashion a number of weeks last season in that COVID campaign during 2020. Stopping the run was at times very difficult for this team, and that once again reared its head against the Bruins. You had running back Zach Charbonnet, a transfer from Michigan, who had six rushes for 106 yards and three touchdowns. He averaged 17 yards per carry. UH, meanwhile, rushed for only 26 net yards, yeah, Chevin Cordero quarterback was 25 for 47, 243 yards of TD, two interceptions and two sacks. And frankly, didn't have a lot of time in that pocket, had to extend plays as much as possible. Didn't seem like there were guys downfield getting open, overt miscues in the realm of special teams. Matt Shipley, the punter, uh, receiving a low snap, put his knee on the ground after their opening possession, which gave UCLA the ball in the red zone. They had a punt blocked for the first time since 2008. They actually had the longest active streak uh, in FBS football until that time. And so special teams, defense, offense, uh, none of it was really working for Hawaii here this past week in what ended up uh, being a 44 to 10 defeat. So 0 and 1 here to start the year, looking for a Bose bounce back this week against Portland State. But where do you begin when digesting Week Zero for the Rainbow Warriors? Whew, yeah, where to start, right? And to the credit of uh, Coach Todd Graham and and some of the other players we've heard from in the media, right? They, they've kind of owned it, right? They, they've talked about being outplayed, outcoached in every facet. Uh, you throw in some of the, the the coaching miscues, I guess you could say, right? The fact that they burned three timeouts in the first quarter. They had to burn a timeout coming after a stoppage in play on a first play of a series. Like, those are the things that that you just can't have happen. And look, it's the first game of the season. And, and so if you're going to get those out of the way, you might as well do it now, right? In a game that in the grand scheme of things was a, a test type of game, but it's not going to impact in terms of the Mountain West Conference race. It's one of 13. Uh, so big picture stuff there. But at the same time, right, you're, you're looking at a couple of big issues, I think, that we had coming into the season in terms of question marks. Were they going to be better against the run? That wasn't the case, right? There, there was no indication that, that they had fixed some of the things that, that were ailing them last year. That was the biggest Achilles heel for the defense last season. A pretty good back end, but, you know, just maybe a little undermanned, whatever the reason, they, they weren't that good against the run. And, and they weren't good at all against the run on Saturday against UCLA. And then maybe you can point to some bright spots on defense, right? Darius Moussaud, double digit tackles. Again, Jonah Lulu had two sacks getting a start at defensive end after he started at tight end in the bowl game last December, uh, just shows you the versatility of him. Some of the newcomers, right? Akuna, the safety from Iowa state was kind of all over the field, but none of those guys were immune to missed tackles. And so there, it was a mixed bag in that sense. And then offensively we were looking at, okay, they were making this transition, right? Last year, we saw sort of a, a gradual transition away from some of the, the run and shoot concepts, if you will, into what we saw in the bowl game with the starting tight end and, and getting a little bit more, I think, into the identity 
of what Todd Graham offenses have looked like in the past. And, and now they, they elevate at least officially Bo Graham to the title of offensive coordinator and play caller. And so it's going to be, okay, what does that identity look like, right? What kind of concepts are we going to be looking at? What kind of uh, game plan to attack and get the ball into the hands of your best playmakers? And I don't, I don't think we really saw a lot of that in the first game. Like it, it looked disjointed. It looked discombobulated. There wasn't a, a very obvious connection between play calling and getting Calvin Turner the football, right? He had zero carries in that game, even though that's kind of where he started last season as a running back. And, and look, again, it, it could be a situation to look. UCLA was that just that much better, and we'll get a much better indication against a Portland State team, which Hawaii should have the upper hand on, right, just based on number of scholarships and caliber of athlete. And so we'll, we'll get a better indication, I think, after week two, uh, maybe kind of finding a median middle ground, you know, uh, punching above your weight class and then somebody that you should handle. And so just to, I think that was the more concerning part. It wasn't the, the necessarily the score or the result. It's just kind of how it came about. Right. The, the fact that these big questions we had on both sides of the football, I don't think we're closer to answering them after week one. We'll, we'll see after week two against Portland State. I think we'll have a better sense. Yeah, because I think we're basing a lot of this judgment and this evaluation on what Todd Graham called attention to, right? He says, hey, look, we're trying to be more physical. We want to play mm -hmm. faster. Uh, and when it came to the speed of the game, the physicality of the game, frankly, it was pretty one-sided. UCLA seemed to be far more athletic, far quicker. They seem to be the more physical team in just about every facet. And I think that was surprising. Is that just how much more talented UCLA is? Or was it something that was more systemic that then exacerbated some of, of that discrepancy? And, and so I think that it's probably a combination of all of that. It, it looked like Hawaii was getting beat up in the trenches. And, and you know the domino effect in the game of football. If you're not winning on the line of scrimmage, it's awfully hard to win uh, at the other levels defensively or offensively. And it did look like there was some confusion up front. And even some of the defensive linemen, uh, after the fact, uh, called attention to that. You had Jonah Lolu who said, yeah, you know, we run what is basically an audible defense. We get the signals and the audibles from the sideline. And there was some confusion there. And I think that's why some of those timeouts were exhausted so early. We found out this week, Todd Graham said there were a bunch of D linemen that had to miss time because of COVID protocol in the weeks leading up to this game. And so that may have hampered their preparation. So, you know, the old adage is you see some of the biggest improvements from week one to week two in a football season. Uh, certainly, we're hoping to see some of that. This Portland State team, as you alluded to, Big Sky Conference is pretty good in football. This is a Portland State team that did not play any football in the 2020 fall campaign. They actually opted out of Big Sky Conference play in the spring and decided to just play basically one exhibition game against Montana. They got clobbered in that one, but they didn't really practice as a squad very formally for very long. So we'll, we'll see a Portland state team that is probably much more prepared for battle here this Saturday. And when you look on paper, they're big, their offensive line averages over six, six, 300 some odd pounds. Uh, they have a lot of D one transfers. They have a very experienced quarterback who's good on his feet as well as with his arm. And so I don't think this is going to be in any stretch, any kind of rollover, uh, walk through the park type of matchup for Hawaii. They're going to have to be ready to play. And if Portland state doesn't bring back, 
back memories of the season opener at Aloha Stadium after that magical 1999 year where Hawaii went to the Oahu Bowl and beat Oregon State there and June Jones was being celebrated and people were holding signs, June Jones for governor and the season opener against Portland State where they had a QB battle between Jared Flint and a guy named Nick Rolovich and Hawaii would end up getting creamed in that game 45 to 20 if this doesn't somehow spark or stimulate any recall of that experience then you probably weren't watching UH football that closely uh Portland State some of these FCS programs particularly from that region of the country uh they are no rollovers uh and so I think that Hawaii has to be ready for a battle yeah absolutely David Alexander to the quarterback for uh, for Portland State uh, he's career numbers. He's like on lists, not far behind Neil Lomax. And if you're anywhere near Neil Lomax in Portland state record books, you're pretty good. Yeah. He, he, they, they can run the football in a spread offense with a very athletic quarterback. Kind of sounds like UCLA, right? I'm not saying they're UCLA caliber, but it is a similar type of test for this defense, which may be a good thing, right? Maybe they can fix some of those mistakes coming off of last, uh, last weekend's loss to UCLA. Um, so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a test. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's any sort of pushover team coming out of the FCS. They have one of the biggest players maybe in the country, uh, one of their offensive linemen. He is the left guard, John Cron. He's 6'10", 395 pounds. All right, we switch over to the Terraflex. The Rainbow Wahine volleyball team got off to a 2-1 start to their 2021 season. Hawaii swept Fairfield and Texas A&M while getting swept by Marquette in what was an otherwise very competitive three set match uh, as part of the Hawaiian Airlines Rainbow Wahine Classic. Now, you had a lot of new faces, freshmen, newcomers playing big roles. Mylana Bird, the transfer from Alabama, she was the primary setter most of the weekend, split time with the freshman from Texas, Kate Lang, uh, against Marquette. Freshman Taylor Ikenaga is getting the start at Libero. Martina Leoniak, opposite hitter, who was dazzling with her defensive ability, despite the fact that she stands at like 6'3". Mia Johnson. Uh, another freshman from Texas went off for 14 kills in her first career start against Texas A&M. And so Hawaii in spots played very well, particularly, I think, against the Aggies. Uh, they are predicted to be sort of a middle-of-the-road team in the SEC. But if you're a middle-of-the-road team in the SEC, you're probably an upper echelon squad in just about every other conference. They're big and athletic. They are the typical SEC squad. Of course, the national champion from last season, Kentucky, came out of the SEC. Uh, Brooke Van Sickle, the super-duper senior. She's in her sixth year of college volleyball, and she just went crazy. Uh, she twice set career highs in kills 16 the first night 17 against texas a&m and so i ask you a two and one start a more or less pretty impressive performance by a team that has a lot of new pieces that hasn't played in almost two years grade uh volleyball's opening weekend in your mind yeah i give them a solid b i think for one of the big reasons is the fact that you pointed out like a lot of these players haven't played live competitive division one collegiate volleyball in, in over a year. And so I think we saw a little bit of that uh, come through in the passing game. Uh, I think Taylor Ikinagi is going to be good. Uh, she is just a freshman, uh, was an all around six rotation player at Moanalua. She was really good hitter as well. Uh, and so it wasn't as crisp, I, I think, as, as we have seen from teams in the past. And, and, you know, we talked about it last week, quite last week right when in we we asked okay what what were we going to expect and i said well this team's probably going to be nails on defense they weren't quite that i didn't think it was bad 
but it wasn't quite what we have seen from from University of Hawaii teams, especially Robin Amol teams, where she is detail oriented, right? She is very much about the little things. And and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just the fact that, you know, you haven't faced live competition in so long. It's going to take a little while to get recalibrated. And it was good enough to win two of the three matches. And as you pointed out in that sweep loss to Marquette, a perennial team that is contending for NCAA tournament berths out of the Big East, um, it wasn't like they got waxed off the floor, right? It was deuce in two of the three sets. And so because of that, right, it was they didn't light the world on fire. Two and one after you know, 24 months off almost, I'd say it's pretty good. Like there's a lot of a room for improvement, but all things considered, you sweep an SEC squad, you go toe-to-toe with a Marquette team that that, that had a lot more experience in recent years. You're working in a lot of new phases, as you mentioned, with Bird, et cetera. And, and Mia Johnson, she looks like she could be a pretty good one. And, and Leoniak, I mean, she's got all the tools, right? And so there is a lot of youth. There is a lot of inexperience coming in. And so all things considered, I think a solid B is a very fair grade to get the season started. Like they were above average, if you will. Like I don't think they were in the C range, but they weren't in the A range yet. Very, very respectable first weekend. Yeah, you're probably a, a better grader than Robin Amo because uh, I'm, I, she'd probably give them a much lower yeah, grade. She's a tough probably. grader. Yeah, yeah. But as I told Robin, uh, C's get degrees. So, you know, I'm all good with that. But no, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I think it was it was definitely more encouraging than otherwise. Uh, this team now hits the road. They play three matches in the state of Utah at Utah Valley, and then they'll play San Diego and the Utes uh, the following two nights. Uh, we did learn, though, later this week uh, that Kyra Hanawahine, one of the other players competing uh, at that libero position and who has been a serving specialist the last a few years for Hawaii is leaving the program. And so you wonder what kind of potential Pilikia there has been in the background. And if that was at all coming to fruition over the course of this weekend, uh, and you think about that and think, well, if they go two and one and you have some of that stuff bubbling underneath the surface, uh, that may actually make it even more impressive, all things considered. Uh, but we'll see how things uh, move forward. It's just good to have Rainbow Wahine volleyball back. It has been too long and I can't wait for the fans, aunties included, to be back in the house at Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center. All right, staying on the Manoa campus, uh, the University of Hawaii Circle of Honor has announced its latest class of inductees, uh, and it includes Colt Brennan, who passed away earlier this year, Robert Kekaula, who also passed away earlier this year. Uh, you have former president and founder of the Nakoa Football Booster Club, Ed Wong, and Amber Kaufman, speaking of Wahine Volleyball, who was one of the great multi-sport athletes in the history of UH, an All-American in volleyball and a high jump national champ. Now, Colt Brennan, uh, his accomplishments, well-documented, uh, maybe uh, most celebrated uh, individually in the history of, of UH sports. I mean, it, it got about as close to Beatles mania as anybody, maybe Derek Tatsuno or, or the Fab Five would be somewhere on that level. But Cope Brennan, I mean, he, he made an impact like no other, and he changed this place uh, and represents a time where Hawaii accomplished more than I think anybody ever thought uh, or dreamed that they could. You have Robert Kekaula, who was an icon in sports media, uh, actually multimedia star because of his uh, prowess as a musician and recording artist and producer, uh, gone way too soon. And obviously the guy who was in the play-by-play -play seat 
uh, for 10 years on the UH football telecasts uh, here prior to what will be the Spectrum uh, opening broadcast this season on Saturday. Uh, and so I guess I want to ask you, I, I, what, what strikes me about this class is the fact that unfortunately three of the four are no longer with us, right? Ed Wong passed away a while ago, and then the losses tragically of, of Colt and, and Robert here this year. Uh, and so I think that's that's the one regret is you would love in a situation like this for these individuals to have experienced being lauded and celebrated and recognized in this way. And that's the only thing that strikes me as, as being unfortunate. But as far as the deserving nature of this class and the cross section of it, it is a very diverse class. It runs the gamut of legendary athletes to legendary contributors. Uh, I think it's well-rounded uh, and I think it's a class that is uh, very well representative of what University of Hawaii sports is all about. How does this class strike you? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it because it really is, right? Uh, Amber Kaufman, who is a two-sport stud in her day, right? I mean, All-American in one sport and the national champion another. Like, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, and, and more than a worthy addition uh, to the circle of honor. I mean, Ed Wong, right? His contributions to that university, that athletic program, obviously football. Um, like, at it, the football program doesn't exist in the form that it exists without that organization and without Ed Wong and then Colton and, and Robert, right. And I know Ed's getting this posthumously as well, this honor, but with, with Colton and Robert in particular, right. And I know they were unexpected deaths, I guess you could say, uh, but it's just kind of a reminder, right? Like we don't have to wait until we lose people to, to honor them. And I just wish they would have been there. And obviously Ed Wong as well, but, but yeah, it's just one of those with with Colton. I mean, he is the biggest star this this program has ever produced, and 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 Robert with how synonymous he became, right, with University of Hawaii football over the last decade, and and in front of a national and quite honestly international audience of folks staying up late with Hawaii football and staying up late with Robert and Rich Miano on those on those telecasts, and and yeah, it's just it's just one of those bittersweet feelings, right, where they are very deserving of this honor. You just wish. You just wish they were they were here with us to celebrate. And it's just one of those reminders, I think, that, you know, sometimes and this is to no fault of anybody's right. And this isn't an, an, an indictment or or speaking ill on the folks at UH selected this. It's just, you know, sometimes we wait a little too long and and, uh, you know, folks are gone before we know it and, and we don't get a chance to honor them in the right way. We will definitely be nostalgic uh, for what all of these uh, people meant to the University of Hawaii and to Hawaii as a whole. All right, speaking of Hawaii, the HNL boys Little League baseball team fell just short in Williamsport last weekend, lost to Michigan, a team they had beaten earlier in the double elimination tournament. Now, that was a tough day because that was the day UH football lost to UCLA. HNL boys lose to Michigan in Williamsport. Rainbow Wahine volleyball gets swept by Marquette. I think I made a comment on the air like it's Saturday if Saturday started by being spelled S-A-D. Uh, I even thought like later it could be like S-A-D-D-E-R day, a Saturday for Hawaii sports. It really was because uh, because of all of those unfortunate defeats. Uh, but I think in this case, it was extra annoying because of the modified double elimination format. You talked about it last week, Jordan. And I don't know, it was prophetic uh, because Michigan only had to beat Hawaii once in that bracket championship, basically the overall semifinal round. Even though Hawaii had defeated them earlier, Michigan got a second crack at it because of the double elimination format. Hawaii never had that opportunity. They would take third place with a win the next day. So obviously a tremendous showing, however you slice it. Uh, but let's open the floor. 
to rant once again about the structure of this modified double elimination tournament format again. Jordan, please, would you do the honors? Yeah, it's just look, all the other tournaments that kind of lead up to this, except the regionals, and, and it's it's all for TV, right? It's double elimination until you get to like these <laughs> championship games, and we need to make them singular championship games for TV purposes. Even though Hawaii, who lost one time in the regional and the world series and already beat this Michigan team. And then they got to wait and they got to wait for this team. And then the, the Michigan comes back and they beat them. And it's like, Oh, okay. Oh, we're done now. We're going to play in a third place game. What is, what is this nonsense? Right. And, and it is just unfair because the same thing happened to the central East Maui team in 2019, where they went undefeated in the, the world series, got to the U S championship game, lost to Louisiana, Louisiana wins the whole thing. So it's like, they're only one and one against each other. That's how this works. And the crazy thing is, if this was modified double elimination in the state tournament at the, the, the state level, which we had down here in Kihei, Central East Maui went through the loser's bracket, got to the, the final day, and beat Honolulu in the morning game. And so if this was like the regional or if this was like the World Series, Honolulu, too bad, so sad. Maui would have gone to San Bernardino in the regional. But you know what they do here in Hawaii in the state tournament? They play regular double elimination. And so they met again later that afternoon in a rubber match because they were one and one in the tournament. And Honolulu ended up winning that game. Micah Bennett pitched the gem and they were the worthy team. That was the right result. And they got to go to San Bernardino and ended up finishing third in the in the World Series. And so it's like, I don't I don't understand this thing. It's not like there isn't time to play this the 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 if necessary game. They do it in the college world series. <laughs> they, they do it in the world series. They play a best of seven. You get a definitive winner. You can't go one and one against the team and be like, oh, we win. That's not how it works. That's not how sports works. I get the champion, the overall championship game, the Sunday game, I think makes sense as a one-off, right? You've got two completely separate brackets. And if you survive out of your bracket, you get a one-off game. That's fair. But the U.S. championship or the international, you know, in, in years past, and we'll come back next year. Come on. What are we doing here? It doesn't make any sense. On a more positive note, Hawaii is now 30-6 and six since 2001 in the Little League World Series <laughs> with another third top three finish. They're unbelievable. Yeah, I love uh, the Bagoyo story too, right? You had Zach Bagoyo oh, so and his dad, Kevin Bagoyo, uh, who was part of that old Pearl City team that went like back in the day, uh, late 80s to the Williamsport Little League World Series. Uh, and Kevin Bagoyo, who, by the way, Ilani alum. So I just wanted to throw that in there here. Uh, and that serves as a perfect segue to uh, the meat of our episode, which is our interview with Brian Ayat. Yes, Iolani, class of 94, uh, who is now being inducted into the University of Montana Sports Hall of Fame for his exploits uh, that we mapped out earlier in the show. So with that, how about we just go ahead and uh, get to our talk with Brian Ayat. Well, it's always kind of exciting. Uh, we don't necessarily, uh, every single time we do this podcast, uh, get the opportunity to talk with a Hall of Famer, but that's what we're doing here today as Brian Ayat uh, joins us. Uh, we did the introduction here before we, we officially got onto this call with you, Brian. Uh, so I'll, I'll spare you the details of going through your resume right in front of you, but uh, we did add another incredible piece here in recent weeks as uh, it was announced that uh, you are part of the new induction class into the Montana Sports Hall of Fame. First off, how does that hit you? How did you find out? And, and how's that sitting with you here uh, upon hearing that news? Uh, at first, it was, you know, I was shocked. Um, I never really thought about 
being in the Hall of Fame ever. But um, now it's got a time to settle in. Uh, I got a lot of time to kind of just reflect back on everything. And um, first of all, just glory and praise to God. Without him, none of this is possible. And it just made me really think about how fortunate I was to be surrounded by great people, uh, great situations. Uh, my mom and dad, obviously, just all their love and sacrifice that they've given me, every opportunity that they've given me. Um, yeah, it just made me really go back to days at Iolani kindergarten <laughs> and, and, and just play, you know, just wanting to <clears throat> play something, football, basketball, baseball, any chance I got. And, um, yeah, just really going back in all my experiences and how blessed I really am. Yeah, kind of interesting to hear you go back so far, right, as opposed to, oh, it made me think about those years in Missoula or it made me think about, you know, some of these standout highlights at Iolani, and I'm sure some of those are swirling. But you're taking it back really far, almost to the origin of your uh, development as a competitor. Uh, why, why do you think something like this takes you back to those Hanabara days? Um, I, I think because I'm reflecting on now everything is about my boys, raising them. And, you know, now I have my son that's playing and just thinking back all the way back then and um, how that affected me as I went on and just being a competitor, like you said, uh, I can remember, like I said, being in class and just all I could think about is getting out to recess, lunch, anytime I had a chance to play out there. Um, and then all my, my great friends that I made at Iolani that are still my close friends to this day, um, you know, my brother, Paul, he was, uh, I have two brothers, Paul and Um, Paul was two year, two grades above me at Iolani. Um, and him just taking care of me. He was a quarterback before me as all state at Iolani. Uh, he, and he really gave me the motivation. Oh, I want to play quarterback too. And, um, him whipping my ass every day. Um, <laughs> and then me passing that on to my younger brother getting that opportunity. Um, but it, 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 it was a really big influence on me growing up. How, how do you, how do you think that sort of translated once you got to that next level, once you got to Montana and had an opportunity to go play, play collegiate football, you know, um, playing at Iolani, you know, we did fairly well at Iolani and we hung in there. Our, our senior year was, I, I want to say one of the most competitive, ILH seasons. We were all seven and three, Yolani, Kamehameha, Pono, St. Louis. So it was a real competitive year. Um, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good season. I got up to Montana and I'm uh, glad you asked that. And the only reason I got to Montana was uh, coach Tommy Lee. I had uh, no offers like these guys are getting a lot of offers these days. <laughs> Back then, I didn't. That was the only one. He was a good friend of my dad's. He was a coach at the University of Montana. Um, at that time, I think he moved on to University of Utah, but his word got me to Montana. And when I got up there, I, I was in my my thoughts were, well, am I here just because of Coach Tommy Lee? You know, am I actually good enough to be up here? Uh, watching first game as a red shirt watching us go up again against Washington State and seeing how um, 
how big these guys were. And um and watching one of our guys, he just got his he just got lit up. He got knocked out and thinking to myself, man, I don't know if I can play at this level. <laughs> so getting in there and it just kind of I just had to get in there and, and, and feel comfortable. But there was some uncertainty when I when I got up there. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a long way from home too, right? I Missoula, Montana. That 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 might as well be the moon. I think you know coming from coming from Oahu. Uh, you know what was that transition like? Because I mean, you know, trailblazer in a sense. A, a lot of these guys we've seen players go off. You know, far reaches. They, I mean, they're going to the Atlantic coast now. They're going all over the place. But but for you to go to Missoula and kind of take that leap of faith as as they kind of you know showed a little faith in you, I guess. Um, Coach Tommy's word, but uh, what, what was that like? You know, just just transitioning to to playing football. You know, not next to the beach now. All of a sudden, you're in Missoula. Definitely a, a culture shock, um, and it really hit. You know, in uh, October and November, when 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 it started getting colder, <laughs> and the snow came down. Um, yeah, it was definitely a culture shock and dealing with all those types of things. It, it was a little easier. I was able to get in there with my teammate, good friend, Raul Pacheco. Um, also another good friend of mine, Eleo Kane. Um, they were both my teammates. So we went in together, which made it a lot easier. Um, you know, but the besides the culture shock, I think the people up there made it a lot easier because they're very similar to uh, us here in Hawaii with a lot of um, real humble um, hardworking, uh, just mean what they say type of people. So that made it a lot easier for me as well. It's a, was there a moment when you kind of realized, Hey, I, I do belong here. I, I can play with these guys. Uh, you know, after sharing your story, right. As a red shirt, was there a moment or, or did you kind of just grow into that? Um, I think it didn't hit till later in the season, but our, my first start was against Oregon state. Um, you know, obviously Pac-12 team and, oh, that was a, it was a tough one. I remember uh, dry heaving in the locker room, just, just so, so <laughs> nervous and anxious. And, uh, I got out there the first series. We, I think we, we just went right down the field, um, on the goal line. I called the wrong play and we still scored. Um, and then, you know, the next two series, I think we've scored the first three series of that game going up 21-0. And it was like, then after the third series, like, Hey, you know what? I think we can do this. I think I can do this. So I think that was the, the focal point for me when I, I realized I belonged up there. You know, it was interesting because you get to Missoula and the quarterback there at the time uh, ended up being one of the, the legends of the game, right? Uh, Dave Dickinson, super Dave, as he's known, went on to an incredible professional career North of the border. Uh, but this is a guy who, uh, set a certain standard. Did you benefit from being able to observe that that closely as then things, the reins and, and the rest of things transition to you? Uh, definitely. You know, he, the legend uh, in Montana, everybody, you know, everybody knows about him. Um, being able to follow him and watch him perform, see how he prepared, it definitely was a benefit to me. And, and just being the competitor that I am, I'm watching him and seeing the types of things that he does and he did. And I'm a lot of times like, wow, how did he do that? And just kind of picking his brain, like, Hey, how did he do that? And 
I remember him telling me like his sophomore year, he said, same time that I started, he said, you know, it was kind of a blur and um, I really, really don't know. And, and reflecting back and it was a blur for me as well, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Dave was a great guy, great quarterback and definitely somebody I learned from a lot. Now I think we've grown accustomed to seeing a bunch of these Hawaii guys who, as Jordan alluded to, venture off into the vast corners of the nation and play on national television every week, uh, even at the quarterback position and, and maybe positions that weren't traditionally held uh, by Hawaii guys. Uh, you were very early on in this trend, so to speak. And when you made it to the national championship game in 96 and you had the, the world, basically the nation watching it was a big deal. And I, and I remember, you know, we were we were rushing to the TVs to see this thing. And uh, I was just kind of wondering what that experience was like for you. Um, yeah, like I said, that that season was was kind of a blur. And, you know, we were fortunate. We went, uh, was it 15 and all uh, up until that national championship game? Uh, we had a great team. Um we had a senior class that would probably go down in history as one of the most successful senior classes. So in Montana history, uh, they made it very easy for me, but yeah, not really. I didn't really at the time, didn't really think about it <clears throat> uh, where we were at until I see my dad in the hotel lobby <laughs> of our national championship game. And I just saw a look of worry, and <laughs> just, <laughs> just anxiety. And I'm like, dad, are you, he, he said, Brian, are you okay? Said, yeah, I'm good. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> so those are the memories of that game. And, you know, unfortunately, we ran into a, 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 a really good team, a great team. One of the top teams that'll probably go down in one double A history with Randy Moss and uh, Chad Pennington and, you know, a lot of NFL players on that team. So it was just a great experience. We came up a little short, but it was a great season. Yeah, no, I, so I had the privilege of actually going up to Missoula to announce a Montana versus Weber State uh, Big Sky Conference championship game. Uh, wow. Wayne Tinkle was the head coach who was part of this Hall of Fame class with you. Um, and so that was a really incredible experience because, you know, first off, Missoula, like you said, is sort of a college town, very small, uh, down-to-earth uh, type of, of, of uh, cross-section of the community. Uh, and then at the same time, walking onto the campus and I see pictures of you all over the place. And I'm talking to some of the people that are in, you know, the, the athletic offices and, and, and some of the administrators. And I'm, you know, telling them like, oh, I went to the same high school as, as Brian Ayad, Iolani. And man, their eyes lit up and, and the way they talk about you, it, it, was, it was pretty incredible. So uh, I think that this was inevitable for, for you to, to achieve and receive this kind of, of recognition. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I know enough about you to know that, that you don't necessarily love talking about yourself like this. Uh, and so how do you sort of use this then in your role now as a parent, as a dad, as a coach, instead of, hey, this is a standard by which, you know, you're going to be measured and you have to live up to my legacy as opposed to, hey, here's an example of what can be accomplished, putting in the amount of work that's necessary, if you get a couple of breaks, how are you working that? I'm glad you asked that. And, and, and it's something like, like you said, you know, it's, I'm not used to talking about myself, nor do I like it. <laughs> uh, 
just very and and going back to just reflecting on everything and a lot of it is is for my son that's playing right now and for both of them and how i i uh raise them and try to help them prepare to be young men going into this very difficult world um last night i'm watching sports center uh watching kirk herbstreet talk about his book that he's that he's written about fatherhood and sports and all that and and um he said about his father, how his father didn't listen to him. I, I immediately turned to my son and was like, do I listen to you? Do, do you hear, you know? And, and he turned around and he said, yes. And just reflecting and trying to see how, the things that helped me be successful and how the, I can pass that on to my two boys. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, it, what, what kind of led you into to coaching after your playing career was done and Played some professional football, obviously north of the border, some indoor, some arena. Um, what 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 kind of led you down the coaching path? Um, uh, love love for the game. Um, oh, I, I love for the game, and you know, eventually I got into it, um, seeing that my boys wanted to play as well. So I, I got into it because of that. Um, seeing what my dad did for me. My dad was a, a longtime coach, coach at Kalani, Farrington, uh, and then Iolani ended up at Iolani to help us with, um, with to get into Iolani, to pay for tuition. At that time, coach, the legendary coach Eddie Amata uh, provided our coaches with, um, you know, half off tuition or tuition for us to get into school. So, and my dad did that for me. Um, he sacrificed for me, for my brothers, and I, I did that as well for my two boys. Yeah, and it, you know, it's 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 so funny, right? Football in Hawaii, just like a lot of other sports, so family oriented, and just how it sort of gets built up. Are, are you, you know, as a guy who kind of came through, and I know you're quick to credit the, a lot of the folks who came before you, especially guys who played that position that they got a chance to go play you know, at a pretty high level beyond high school. And then, then you kind of came through and, and now we just see this boom of, of quarterbacks over the last, you know, two decades of, of kids playing now in the NFL. Uh, are you surprised by that at all? I mean, you're, you're sort of in the mix now as a coach, having gone through that as a player, but, but where we've gotten to in terms of not just producing that kind of talent, but getting it recognized and, and, uh, and getting those kids to, to the spot that they're in. Are, is that surprise you at all from, from your standpoint, knowing your background? Um, it does, it doesn't surprise me. I think, uh, just like a lot of kids from different positions from Hawaii, we just needed an opportunity. A lot of times we were undersized, but the, the measure of our heart is, uh, has always been there. I think for local kids coming out, um, going back to the guys that trailblaze for the position, uh, coach Tommy Lee, I, I asked, I, I went back and asked my dad and it's like, and he was the guy. He's the guy that started out to me, and he played at the University of Willamette. He was an all-star up there. And then from there, uh, my dad also uh, put me in touch with Coach Kaipo Spencer that uh, recently passed away. And he was a big deal for me and teaching me how to play the position. And uh, I think from him and those guys passing it down to guys like me, and then from, you know, and then the more that came out there, we're able to pass it down to 
the players nowadays, the kids these days, and there's a lot of um, good coaches out there that are passing their knowledge down and, um, you know, and, and now, now we're seeing it, you know, and I mean, Marcus Mariota, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, and, and, you know, the list goes on and on. And it's just so great to see these guys having so much success. Yeah, the infrastructure is now in place where if you have some talent, not only is it going to be nurtured, I think, because of what you're alluding to, the, the knowledge that's available through coaching, youth level, uh, but people will will see that. Like now the infrastructure is in place where uh, the, the scouts, recruiters, they will catch wind of a kid who is is showing promise and the potential to, to play at the next level. And so that's a game changer, right? Definitely, definitely. And, you know, with social media and all, all this, all these opportunities for them to be seen, uh, you don't have to, now you don't have to fly up there for you to be seen. It can be by film and, you know, those types of things. So, like you said, the infrastructure is, is, is great and it's in place and the opportunities are endless for these kids. Well, I can tell, you know, how, how the emotion can swell up a little bit when you talk about, you know, your father and, and, and the legacy in this Ayat family, certainly when you talk about your, your children. Um, and so I'm wondering, you've, you've been in some very high pressure football situations uh, throughout your lifetime, uh, and you are in the role of a coach. So I imagine you have the ability to sort of put the coaching hat on during games. But at the same time, uh, how stressful is it compared to when you were playing to watch your son play the game of football uh, from from the sideline or, or wherever your vantage point may be? Yeah, you know, you know, I was just threw a joke about my dad and how he looked in that national championship <laughs> game. And now I know exactly how that feels. And it's, uh, it's much more nerve wracking being a coach and keeping my composure when my son's out there. But um, it's kind of learning day by day. This is the first year, really. I mean, I coached him in Little League, but now we're playing big boy ball and guys are coming to knock his head off. So it's, <laughs> it's a little bit more... Uh, a lot more nervousness, I guess, as a coach. Well, I think what's what's added to it is, you know, these are circumstances that are unlike any other time, right? With with COVID and and what these kids are having to deal with, um, you know, at the time of this recording, we found out yesterday that Punahou St. Louis, that long anticipated matchup this weekend, has been postponed. That is something that's going to be dealt with throughout the rest of of this prep football season. How is navigating through that been? Uh, from your perspective and, and what do you sort of anticipate here going forward? You know, early on, there was a lot of frustration, like, you know, are we going to play, you know, it's going to go, you take two steps back. And so the frustration was there, but once we, um, once we kind of got settled in and, and, you know, just figured out, you know, this is the new normal, we're just going to have to find ways to, to um, better ourselves and control what we can control uh, we're so fortunate that God has uh, blessed us with and put uh, my son at Kamehameha. I think Kamehameha, uh, Coach Abu, is doing a tremendous job of just handling every situation, every curveball that comes our way. Uh, and and from here on out, it's just, just doing what you can. Like, you know, we're staying home. We're at home now. Um, strengthen your body. Keep yourself in shape you know, and doing those types of things and just doing what you can to just be ready to be, to be, to, 
to get better on a day-to-day basis and we take take it how it comes yeah i think that's that's kind of all you can do right in this day and age i just got one more question back before we get you out of here i was kind of curious have you had a chance do you go back to missoula often have your kids have you gotten a chance to take your kids? Do they see the posters that Kanoa saw when he went out there? I just kind of curious, you know, uh, you get to see what uh, what Dad did back in the day. So yeah, um, a few years ago, probably a lot longer than that. Now we took uh, my whole family went to go watch our my cousin play Kella Marcial, Iolani yep. graduate. He was at Weber State, and uh, we took them up, but they were kind of too young to kind of remember. I think um, that game. And then just this past summer, I took um, uh, Kelly to a football camp at Montana. So I took him to Boise State, and then we went to Montana. So he, he, he got the full-on treatment. He was able to uh, warm up the day before in the stadium. He got to see. So he got the tour. He, he was able to see all that stuff. So it was a great time up there this past summer. There is an induction ceremony, from what I understand, scheduled for late October. Is that something that you're considering uh, being in attendance for? Is the, is the travel under these circumstances a little too tenuous? Or, or what, what do you think is going to happen? Um, we've already got our tickets. So there yeah, you go. We're, we're going. Um, you know, Kelly is up in the air. As of now, he's, he doesn't have a game scheduled on that, that weekend. So, yeah, if we can, we're all going to be up there. Well, that's terrific. Yeah, that's uh, well, that's an honor that is is well deserved uh, and certainly, uh, I think, deserving of being present for, uh, if at all possible. So we wish you the best with that. And and Brian, just congratulations, man. Um, really uh, proud uh, to say that uh, I uh, once uh, shared the basketball court uh, with you. And uh, now I get to say that uh, that same guy is uh, University of Montana Hall of Famer. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you both for having me on. Kanoa, I remember those times vividly, man. <laughs> those are all great times. And congratulations to you guys for doing a great job, too. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, bro. Take care, Brian. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right, big thanks once again to Brian for joining us, and congrats once again. Time now for our post game. And our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. I'll go first to get this out of the way because it's kind of cheesy, but it's kind of a proud hubby moment. Ashley Takitani Leahy uh, being recognized by Pacific Business News as part of their 40 under 40 series. Basically, uh, they recognize 40 individuals under the age of 40 who have made an impact on the business community as well as the general community around them here over the last year. Of course, that is my wife, Ashley. She is the Director of Communications and Development at Ohana Pacific. So a not so humble brag on my part uh, that the wifey uh, is getting some stuff done here in the Hawaii business community. So congrats to her. Yeah, how cool is that? I know her. That is cool. I've only got eight and a half more years to make the list. Otherwise, I'd, then I'd age out. So I'm still holding out hope that I can that I can follow in Ashley's footsteps. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping that uh, eventually they establish a 50 under 50. And then I can be right back in the mix of eligibility there you go. for that award. What's uh, what's your best, Jordan? Yeah, my best uh, huge week World Cup qualifying. Uh, that's soccer. I know I usually use these uh, this segment as my uh, my soccer section, 
Uh, but it's really cool. Like the, the it's on honestly sometimes more exciting than the actual World Cup itself because you've got matches going on like literally for 20 hours during the day, all the way from like East Asia all the way into Central and North America and South America as you go throughout the, the day past the international dateline. And you're playing like in home venues in front of huge crowds, often raucous crowds, whereas, you know, the World Cup finals, the bigger nations, you're playing in a neutral country, you get a little bit of that. But I mean, you've got matches going on today. It started in Japan at midnight Hawaii time, and it'll end in El Salvador later today about a little after six Hawaii time. So you're getting like 18 plus hours of matches today, 34 matches I mean, you're going from like Saudi Arabia to Madagascar, Namibia, Estonia, Liechtenstein, Bolivia. Like there are matches in all these countries and a lot of them in front of crowds. Uh, it is awesome. It is absolutely awesome. And, and you can watch a lot of these games now. It's kind of crazy how much soccer has evolved. Like if you have ESPN Plus and CBS slash Paramount Plus, you can watch nearly every Confederations qualifiers except like South America. You got to get football TV for that. Uh, but it, it, it's it's amazing. And, you know, the world's kind of crazy right now. And I think... The World Cup and World Cup qualifiers, it's its kind of a nice reminder that we're, we're a lot more alike. We share a lot more in common, like this passion for sport being one of them than, than we are different. And uh, it's pretty cool. So if you've got if you don't have to sleep for a while, like the next week, there'll be matches going on every day, like 30 plus matches literally around the world. To that end, you may think that I'm not at all involved with this global soccer phenomenon, uh, but I watched Ted Lasso. So I'm just letting you, you know go. that, uh, no, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Ted Lasso is the gateway drug to actual <laughs> soccer. So you better watch out. Do you watch that show? It's a great no, show. No, I haven't. I need to get Apple TV. So the thing with Ted, Ted Lasso is literally everybody I have talked to said it's great, including like diehard soccer people and people who work in soccer. Me, like I have not heard one person say, eh, it's okay. Like everybody loves it. So yeah, I need to get on it. Yeah, it's kind of the show the world needs right now. Uh, and when you watch it, you'll understand exactly what I mean by that. All right. Uh, we go to our worst now. And um, Joe Rogan, podcasting giant. We can only aspire to achieve anywhere near what this guy has done in the podcasting medium. He is continuously, unfortunately, though, with that incredibly large stage and profile, uh, spread misinformation about COVID-19 and vaccinations. Well, it just came out this week. He has COVID. And while it is tempting, I think, for some people who view what he has done as being potentially dangerous to be, you know, a little bit in that I told you so uh, type of position, but uh, nobody wants to see anybody get COVID. We want to get through this damn nightmare. Uh, he hasn't said whether he's been vaccinated, uh, but he has said that he's used a series of alternative treatments, including uh, a very controversial treatment, ivermectin, which is a horse dewormer that the FDA has warned against and uh, has said is unproven and potentially harmful. Uh, and so it's just here we are again at that conundrum of this mistrust with regard to the FDA, now FDA approved, at least for the Pfizer brand vaccine, versus all of these alternative forms of treatment that are controversial and uh, why there's mistrust on this thing uh, and this willingness to try these other experimental drugs and treatments. And it's just strange. And I just I just wish that uh, maybe uh, we'd have someone in, in a position like Joe Rogan uh, that could be a little bit more responsible uh, with that profile. You know, the irony. Yeah, I've, I've kind of hurt my brain trying to follow logic from from all corners of everything right like even myself like I sometimes I'm like okay does, does, does this even make sense what I'm thinking through like I feel like logic has taken a big hit during the pandemic 
So uh, without getting uh, too deep into that end of the pool, uh, let's send it over for your worst. Yeah, my worst, uh, again, maybe just completely illogical, but this Bishop Sycamore story, <laughs> I have been fascinated. Great. It has taken the internet by storm. I think a lot of people are very familiar with it at this point. Just the interest of time, we'll, we'll kind of keep it to the condensed version. But this this high school, that does, nobody really knows if it even exists. Like at best, it is an online charter school that was started within the last handful of years. It exists in Columbus, Ohio, at least on paper. Like the physical address for it is just an address like there's nothing there um they played two games in three days last weekend on a friday in pennsylvania and then back at the football hall of fame as part of like this espn geico kickoff they played on espn against img academy out of florida who's like the number one team in the country and lost by down nearly like 60 they had some guys get hurt and it's like what is what is going on here why are these guys on national television playing against this caliber of opponent they had like 30 kids suited up whereas img's got like 80 and they've got like a plethora of division one prospects. And so that was the first red flag, right? This, this, this team somehow made it on national television against a team that was 500 divisions above it in terms of caliber. And then you start digging into it. And it's like, they said they had all these kids who were division one prospects ESPN and nobody could verify. They didn't even have numbers and some of their rosters that they submitted just names. And then the, the, the rumors then just flew. Like they're, they're saying these are Juco players who like got, washed out of junior college then they're playing like high school prep football uh the coach apparently has a warrant out for his arrest someplace uh they they they've they, it's a made-up school like they're, they're, they're it's basically a giant scale like everything about it is just absolutely bonkers uh and somehow they made it on national television for at least a game uh and a lot of their other games have been pulled now like they're, they're they were playing a national schedule against like the who's who of the national top 25 in high school football but like they're playing with adults. I don't even know what's going on. It's 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 bonkers. It's also led to a lot of funny memes and gifts and sure. tweets uh, at the expense of a lot of other people who aren't even associated with Bishop Sycamore or even like football anymore. Um, just scour the internet. You'll 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 find them. But yeah, it just how wild is this? Yeah, I think Cam Newton is one of those victims, right? Like now you have memes where uh, the newest member of the Bishop Sycamore because he got cut by the Patriots. Uh, yeah, this has to be up there with with some of the greatest scams ever perpetrated in the history of sports, right? I think um, number one, if, if this were to push it, number one would still probably have to be Rosie Ruiz uh, pretending to win the Boston Marathon after taking the subway uh, down to the home stretch. And uh, then they asked her about her interval times in the interview after, and she's like, what's an interval time? And so it was like, it was very clear and obvious. She was BS in her way uh, through this thing. And people saw her like on the subway in her marathon running gear. And uh, so that one broke down pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, just some of the, the greatest scams perpetuated and thankfully no one got hurt, right? I mean, this is one of those situations where even though you're, you're talking about adult men, because you're talking about former junior college players, <laughs> They very well, because they played a game three days earlier, they very well could have been uh, harmed, like in serious fashion. There could have been some, some serious injuries going up against a team of IMG Academy's caliber. And so I think because nobody got seriously hurt, we can laugh about it. And we can look at it as like, all right, this was ultimately in the grand scheme of things, pretty harmless. And it's just really, really funny. Bishop Sycamore, by the way, just as a name is funny, right? Bishop Sycamore, like what, what was the process here in making up a name? Like what was the other finalist? It was like Cardinal Ficus. Like, I don't know what, uh, it's just like a, a religious term and title and a tree. Like, I guess that's the formula. 
I love how people have been shortening it to Bish Sick <laughs> or just abbreviating it as BS. Yeah, yeah. And if there wasn't something more apropos than that to just sum up all of this. That's right. It's the fact that people have just been calling them BS. It was all a ruse the entire time. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui. Owned Maui operated for Maui's people. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. Thanks again to Brian Ayat for being on with us. Jordan, I'll see you Saturday. Yeah, man, looking forward to it. It's been fun.